by you. Lord Jesus, we are called your children. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We praise you, God, that it's it's not just a we're not just a number to you, Lord God, it's personal. You know us personally. And you call us personally. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that we are part of your family. We are not just an associate to you, but we are part of your family. You know us so intimately, Lord. You created us exactly who we are meant to be. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that we are all chosen by you that we all have a purpose, that you have put within us your DNA, Lord. We have your breath in us. You have breathed your life in us. Lord God, we thank you that we can live out with our heads held high and free indeed because we are your children. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord God. We welcome you here this morning. May your words be spoken, Lord God. May you open our hearts, Lord Jesus, to receive something of you this morning. Praise you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, great to have you all here at Southland Church. Nice to see some smiling faces. You can take your seats. Thank you, team. That was wonderful. Beautiful. Ah, it's good. They're good, aren't they? They're good. Yeah, Robin's excited. Good, good. Well, uh, this morning I I, um, wanted to speak to you guys about something. There's been, this church has some amazing preaching that happens. And uh, I don't always get to hear it, but I quite often um, hear it through the app uh, on the, what do you call it? Is that a, a podcast on the app? I don't know. But anyway, I hear it on the app. Listen to it through my headphones when I'm vacuuming most of the time. And uh, yeah, and so I get to hear lots of different different things and there's just so many things that really inspire me and jump out at me. And this morning I'm kind of like touching on quite a few different messages, but um, this morning I want to talk about um, on the way, not in the way. Okay, so I'm going to explain that a little bit later. But um we have two kids, and if you have kids, you might understand a little bit about this. So I've, I've heard apparently that the children don't have quite as good peripheral vision as adults. I don't know. Is that true, Phil? It could be a wife's tale. I don't know. Pamela's saying it's true, so we'll go with Pamela. Thanks, Phil. You're not needed anymore, Dr. Phil. Yeah, something in that. Anyway, I, I don't really believe it anyway. But, uh, but the, have you ever tried to point out something to your children? Maybe you might be walking along and, you know, there's a, a massive ocean liner that's just come across the ocean. You say, wow, have a look at that. How cool is that? And your kids go, where? What are you talking about? Where is it? I don't know. No, I don't see it. Where is it, mum? Where is it? Where is it? It's right there. Can't you see? It's, it's just there right in front of you. Can't you see it? No, I can't see it. What are you talking about? Garen, this is one of his pet peeves. He gets so frustrated sometimes at our kids or, or sometimes we'll be in the car and we'll be like, wow, look at that. How's that? Like it's right in front of us. Check that out. Look at what it is. And, and then after we've passed it, the kids will go, huh? What? What was it? 
It was right in front of us. It's gone now, obviously, but it was right in front of us. Well, quite often, um, look, I don't know what it's like with, um, with male male kids, if that's actually a worse thing. But there is something, yeah, the people with male kids are telling me yes, but there is something called a boy look. Has anyone heard of the boy look? Yeah, I, I, there's a lot of women, yeah, there's a lot of women nodding, a lot of men shaking. There's, there's something called a boy look. And for some reason, boys must have some, some fault in their vision as well, where they can't actually see what's directly in front of them. And they need the woman who is relaxing in the next room to actually come up and go, there, it's right in front of you. (laughs) But um, don't take my word for it. We've actually got a clip that we're hopefully going to get up for you. And um, this is, um, her name is Anna. There was a team in My Kitchen Rules, a TV show. Anna and Henry were our brother and sister. And um, she just explains it really well. So I thought I'd just let her... Give it a go. Let's see if we can get it up. The suspense is always just... They'll be in that, that one this somewhere. One? You just you have a boy look and won't be able to find them. Ah, oh, yeah, I did. <laughs> you and your boy looks. Oh, Drive, don't start. Drives me bananas. Henry's very good at boy looks. A boy look is when they're like looking in a space for something that's right there and they're like, I can't find it anywhere. I don't know where it is. It's not there. Sometimes you even boy look for truffles. Mate, you're way closer to the ground than me. You can find truffles much better. Oh, ha ha. Oh, have a dig. Well, you've just been having Have a dig. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, she, she knows about the boy look as well. And uh, this morning, I want to talk to you about something that could be right in front of your eyes, but it can either be in the way for you or it can be on the way, okay? So that's what I'm wanting to talk about this morning. I'm going to start with reading to you guys something that Garen read out last week, actually. It's from Romans 9, and it starts at verse 27. I'll give you guys a minute to look up that. But the, the song this morning that I am a child of God, yes, I am. And I am chosen is just very fitting for this verse. And it should jog your memory when, uh, when I start to read it from what Garen um, spoke about last week, because I'm sure you guys were all listening very intently to that as well. Uh, I'm reading for the message, by the way. It'll be up on the screen, hopefully, so you can follow along. So uh, Romans 9, starting at verse 27. Isaiah maintains the same emphasis. If each grain of sand on the seashore were numbered, And the sum labelled chosen of God, there'd be numbers still, not names. Salvation comes by personal selection. God doesn't count us. He calls us by name. Arithmetic is not his focus. God has called us each by name. He's got a unique job for each of us. We're not just a number to him. We're not just a a chosen by God, although that feels quite special in itself. But we're actually named by God. And there is a unique job that he has for you to do that isn't the same as anybody else's. It's good, isn't it? Continue on uh, verse 30 we're up to. How can we sum this up? 
all those people who didn't seem interested in what God was doing actually embraced what God was doing as he straightened out their lives. And Israel, God's chosen people, who seemed so interested in reading and talking about what God was doing, missed it. How could they miss it? Because instead of trusting God, they took over. They were absorbed in what they themselves were doing. They were so absorbed in their God projects that they didn't notice God right in front of them. I had a boy look. Like a huge rock in the middle of the road. And so they stumbled into it and went sprawling. Isaiah again gives us the metaphor for pulling this together. Careful, I've put a huge stone on the road to Mount Zion, a stone that you can't get around. But the stone is me. If you're looking for me, you'll find me on the way, not in the way. How did Israel, God's chosen people, miss it? Miss it. What is it? We want to talk about a little bit. What is it? What did that what was it that they missed? Well, it says it at the start, they actually missed what God was doing. Why did they miss it? They were trying to get to get right with God. They were trying to get by by works, by all their little God projects that they had going on. Instead of actually trusting God, they were trying to do it on their own, trying to do it in their own strength. And that that boulder, that huge stone, which is Christ, which has been put on the road to Zion, became in the way then. It wasn't on the way. It was in the way from the, for them. Can you imagine that? So obsessed with your, your God talk or, you, you know, all of this kind of these God things that you have to be doing that you actually miss God himself, that God himself becomes an in the way thing. That's a sad, sad place to be in, isn't it? How did they miss it? Well, yes, they, they might have had a boy look for God, but they, they might have been looking in every other direction when it was straight in front of them, right ahead. Well, what are we actually on the way to? What are we on the way to? Murray spoke, um, was that last week? Two weeks ago, um, Murray came down and he spoke and he spoke about saying yes to God. And right at the end uh, was the bit that really just triggered something in my mind. And he said, um, he was talking about all these things, say yes to God, say yes to God when he calls you. But what if you can't actually hear him calling? What if you, can't, what if you don't actually know what it is you're supposed to be saying yes to? What is it that God wants us to be doing? What are we supposed to be on the way to that, that we're going to be, you know, walking with God and not against God? And the fact he, he pulled out the, um, the story of, of Peter when Jesus called Peter. And Peter was a fisherman, but he wasn't out in his boat at the time when Jesus called him. He was on the shore. And he was on the shore where, where Jesus was. He was in close proximity to Jesus. And that was the reason that he could actually hear Jesus calling. If he was out doing his own thing as as righteous as that might have been, you know, you can put all these analogies in it to make it a God project that he might have been doing fishing for men out there, whatever. But 
He was on the shore so he could actually hear what God was saying to him. And there's a bit in that that you actually need to be in close proximity to God. So if you don't know what it is that he's called you to do, if you don't know what you're supposed to be saying yes to, if you don't know God's calling, your unique plan that he has on your life, you need to be closer to God so you can actually hear him. That really spoke to me anyway. But this morning, we're going to talk about what is it that we're on the way to? So what is, what is our calling? But what is it that we're supposed to be on the road to? Well, it says it in that, the end of that, it says, I've put a huge stone on the road to Mount Zion. Mount Zion, okay. Mount Zion's referenced quite a few times in the Bible. And uh, I, thought, I thought I'd look it up so, you know, I was a bit more informed about it. But it actually starts, a lot of, a lot of the time people would think that it represents God which it does, but it actually kind of changes throughout the Bible. Um, and it actually started, it is an actual mountain, the Mount, Mount Zion. And it started off with um, David, King David. And he came into um, a city and he conquered the city. And up on Mount Zion is where David decided to, to live, where da- David decided it was known also as David's city. But Obviously, it was a mountain, so you can imagine it's high. And quite often, um, up on a mountain, they would have, I don't even know if I'm going to pronounce it right, but what they would call a citadel. We'll go with that, yeah? There's a lot of people nodding. Thank you. Yeah, good. So a citadel. A citadel was pretty much a city within a city. It was the safe place. It was the place of refuge, the place, if your town, if your city is, is under fire, is, you know, being attacked or whatever, you want to be in this citadel. You want to be up here, there. It's the fortress. It's where it's protected. It's where all the weapons are kept. Most likely all of the, the valuables are kept. It's like a vault up there. Anyway, David decided he wanted to live in this citadel, which of course you would, the most protected place in the city. And uh, this is also what Zion is known for. So Zion, not only the fortified area of a city, city up on a hill, but it's also known for a few other things. I'm going to read to you a few things that the Bible refers to it as. In Psalm 48, it refers to it as the joy of all the earth. In Psalm 50, it refers to Zion as the perfection of beauty. That's sounding pretty good, isn't it? Psalm 133 refers to it as the location of Christ's rule on earth. That's interesting, isn't it? Where the Lord commands the blessing and ordains life forevermore. It's pretty good. It's also known as a contrast to Babylon. Now, Babylon, when it's referred in the Bible to Babylon, it's quite often referred to a place of exile, a place where you're in captivity. It It was a place where you weren't at home, you were slaves, Um, you didn't want to be there, and that wasn't where you were supposed to be. And it is Zion is referred to as a contrast to that. So it's the complete opposite to that. I want to read to you guys Psalm 137, which references this. And uh, you, you guys might be singing along in a minute. It says in Psalm 137, verse 1 to 3, Alongside Babylon's rivers, we sat on the banks. We cried and cried. Remembering the good old days in Zion. 
Alongside the quaking aspens, we stacked our unplayed harps. That's where our captors demanded songs, sarcastic and mocking. Sing us a happy Zion song. This was the place where they sat down by the rivers of Babylon and they wept. They didn't want to play their harps anymore and sing their happy Zion songs because it felt like so far away. It felt like so far from the the joy of the earth, from the perfection of beauty, from Christ's rule on earth when they were in this place of exile. And so something that we are on the road to is not Babylon, is, is the opposite of Babylon. We are on the road to something which is a joyful something, Christ's rule on the earth, a place of beauty. And everything that feeling bound, that feeling in that place of exile, the slavery, where just everything's up against you and you just, you can't possibly sing of these beautiful, wonderful, happy songs. That's everything that is the opposite of what Zion is. Zion is also the final thing. The cornerstone of Zion is Christ. So the cornerstone, in 1 Peter, he says it really good. 1 Peter 2, verse 6 to 8. He says, look, I'm setting a stone in Zion, a cornerstone in the place of honor. Whoever trusts in this stone as a foundation will never have cause to regret it. Another translation says, will never be disgraced. To him who trusts him, he's a stone to be proud of. But to those who refuse to trust him, the stone the workman threw out is now the chief foundation stone, the cornerstone. For it's untrusting, for the untrusting, It's a stone to trip over, a boulder blocking the way. They trip and fall because they refuse to obey just as predicted. If we trust in God, if we have our eyes set on Zion, if we have that cornerstone in our lives as Christ, then we will never have cause to regret it. We will never be disgraced. He is a stone to be proud of, but for the untrusting, if you're not trusting God, if, if Christ is not the cornerstone in your life, if maybe you've made that yourself, maybe you've made that another person, maybe you've made that another thing, then it's a stone to trip over. There's a boulder blocking your way. You will never be able to get to that perfection of beauty Because there will be this massive stone in the way. In the way. It's going to be in the way. Christ is supposed to be something that we take with us on the way. Arm in arm, I'm picturing. Not something that's going to be in the way, blocking us. Isaiah says, a trusting life won't topple. Trusting God and your life won't topple. I'll pick that back up in um, our 1 Peter 2 verse 9. But you are the chosen ones of God, chosen for the high calling of priestly work, chosen to be a holy people, God's instruments to do his work and speak out for him and tell others of the night and day difference he made for you. 
from nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. We have been called to do God's work. What is God's work? Well, here Peter's putting it as telling others what he's done in you. That's pretty easy, isn't it? Telling others what God has done in you. If you're not sure the road that God wants you to take, what what his job for you is, then here's a pretty good place to start. Telling others of the night and day difference he made for you. You could be walking around in the darkness like so many others and living such a hard life with this stone, massive stone just blocking your way and living in that place of exile. But God has called you out of that and into the day, into the light. From nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. We are chosen by God for that. The NLT says, once you had no identity as a people, and now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. It's good, isn't it? Amazing. Final thought. We can't do it on our own. We can't do it on our own. We just can't. Focusing on God is what leads us to that free life. Focusing on our Zion. There's another scripture in Isaiah, and it references the the stone. I'm wondering if I can find it. There we go. Isaiah 8.14, it says, It can either be a hiding place or a boulder blocking your way. So there's a stone there. The stone is there in our way or on our way to Zion. If it's in our way, it's going to be blocking everything we try to do. We're going to be constantly coming up against hard slogs. Just, oh, I just can't do this. If it's in our way, that's doing it on our own. That's what putting it in our way is. It's doing it all on our own, trying to to do it in our own strength. If it's on our way, then it can be a hiding place. We're all going through difficult times sometime in our life. We all go through those hard times when we come against opposition, where we just feel like we're just, oh, I can't take any more. We've just been hit and hit and hit. But you know what? This massive stone, it, can, it doesn't have to be. If you look at it from a different perspective, it doesn't have to be something that's blocking your way and I just, I just can't push through. It can be a hiding place. It can be that refuge. It can be that, that citadel, that place of, of um, a fortress that you can hide, hide behind and get blocked, block the arrows that are, that are coming against you. It can be a place to rest. When you go on a big bushwalk, going for a, for a walk and you walk and walk and walk and finally you see a massive rock and you go, let's just have a little break. Let's just have a little sit down. It's good when you find that nice big rock to sit down on, isn't it? It can be a place for you to rest. But you know what? You're still on your way. If you have Zion as your focus, if you have got God as your focus, if you have got Christ as your cornerstone, then it's going to be on the way still. No matter how much you need to sit down and rest, no matter how much you might need to hide behind that boulder, hide behind God, then he, if you are with God, it's going to be on the way to Zion and you're not going to see it as an in the way thing. I'm going to read to you guys from Romans 8. 
Romans 8, verse 5 to 8. Oh, I love this. It says, those who think they can do it on their own end up being obsessed with measuring their own moral muscle, but never get around to exercising it. What's the use of having big muscles when you can't use them? What's the use of knowing everything that you know about God, of knowing everything that God has done for you, but you never actually tell anyone about it? You never actually tell anyone about the day that they can be living in, the light that they can be living in, rather than the night, the darkness. What's the use? Those who trust in God's action in them find that God's Spirit is in them. There you go, you're, you're with Him. Living and breathing God. Obsession with self in these matters is a dead end. Attention to God leads us out into the open, into a spacious, free life. Focusing on the self is the opposite of focusing on God. That's where you get trapped in your Babylon. Focusing on self traps you in your Babylon. Anyone completely absorbed in self ignores God, ends up thinking more about self than God. And that person who ignores God, who ignores God, who that person ignores who God is. There we go. We got there. And what he is doing. And God isn't pleased at being ignored. So don't you see that we don't owe this old do-it-yourself life one red cent. There's nothing in it for us. Nothing at all. The best thing to do is to give it a decent burial. Get on with your new life. God's spirit beckons. There are things to do and places to go. He doesn't want you trapped behind this boulder with this massive thing in your way, whether it's yourself, whether it's your just actions trying to earn your way. He wants you to start doing things. There's places to go. There's things to do. Focusing on yourself and all that you're doing is seeing God in the way. He's going to be in the way. How bad that that God would be an inconvenience to what you're trying to do for God. You feel like you can't hear God because there's a boulder blocking your way. You're not in close proximity to Him. There's something in your way. Verse 22, all around us we observe a pregnant creation. The difficult times of pain throughout the world are simply birth pangs. But it's not only around us, it's within us. The Spirit of God is arousing us within We're also feeling the birth pangs, but these sterile and barren bodies of ours are yearning for full deliverance. That's why the waiting does not diminish us. No matter how much you need to sit and rest on your boulder, it doesn't diminish us any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. We are enlarged in the waiting. We, of course, don't see what is enlarging us, but the longer we wait, the larger we become. And the more joyful our expectancy. Meanwhile, the moment we get tired in the waiting, God's Spirit is right alongside helping us. If we don't know how or what to pray, it doesn't matter. He does our praying in and for us, making prayer out of our wordless sighs, our aching groans. He knows us far better than we know ourselves. 
He knows our pregnant condition and keeps us present before God. And that's why we can be so sure that every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good. Amen. If you've been waiting, if you've been in that hiding place, waiting for the attacks to stop, it's not wasted. Your time is not wasted. The waiting makes us larger. And every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good. Dan preached a message a month or so back. Nothing is wasted. Nothing in God is ever wasted. It hasn't been for nothing. If you are hiding and using God as your refuge with focus, your focus on Him, it is never wasted. God will turn that around for good. He will. If you have your focus on God, He will not be in the way. He will be an on the way thing. I read this in the Word for the day this week, and I'm going to finish on this. What seems like a setback is often a setup for a comeback. God can use anything. Nothing is ever wasted. We need to keep our focus on Zion. We need to keep our focus on God. You might be in a place this morning where you have been been in hiding. You have been taking shelter, taking refuge from all the blows that you've been getting. You might be in a place where you just need some rest and you've been resting in God. You might be in a place where you've been trying to do it all in your own strength and you're just exhausted and there's just always something blocking you. There's always some boulder that's in your way. Or you might just be in a place where you've been too far away from God to be able to hear, what is it that you want me to do? I'm ready to do your will. I'm ready to do what you have me to do. But I just don't know what that is. I just, I'm just too far away. I can't hear. There's a boulder blocking my way from hearing about you. Whether you're in any one of those positions this morning, the answer is keep your focus on Zion. Keep your focus on God in everything that you do. And you'll find that He will be on your way with you, not in your way. Let's just pray. Can we stand to our feet? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord God. Jesus, we love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We don't want to miss it, God. We don't want to miss you right in front of us. Lord Jesus, we thank you, Lord God, that you are so willing and so honoured and you, you want so badly to walk with us on our journey to Zion. Lord Jesus, I want you to be my cornerstone in my life, God. I want you to be my focus. I want to be close enough to you, Lord, that I can hear what it is that you want me to do, that I can hear your promptings throughout my week, that I can hear you saying, speak to that person about the night and day difference that you have made in my life. Lord Jesus, I want to be able to, to rest in you, not collapse because I can't do it all on my own, but give it over to you, Lord God, and have you be my refuge. Lord Jesus, I don't want to do it on my own anymore. I don't want to do it in my own strength. 
I don't want you to be an inconvenience. I don't want Sunday morning church to be an inconvenience. I want you to be an an on-the-way thing, for me to be excited about the things I get to do with you, Lord God. Lord Jesus, I thank you and I pray that you would inspire every person in this room this morning, whatever situation they are in, Lord God, to have their eyes fixed on you, focused on, on Zion, Lord God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that in you we have everything that we could possibly need. We will never be lacking, never be lacking when we put our trust in you, Lord. Praise you, Jesus. We give it over to you this morning, Lord. In your wonderful name, Jesus. Amen. The King, we're well.